welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Can I interest you in a little bit of everything all of the time? Because homogeny is a tragedy and dump stats are a crime. I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. And today we have special guest with us, Mike Daniels from 19 Hiss the Dragon. Hey, Mike. Hey, Ian. James. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you for coming. Yeah, and it's it's Daniel, no no oh, S. Sorry. Yeah, I'm oh I'm only Daniel. a little pedantic about it. Yeah, only a little bit. <laughs> sorry, God. <laughs> He's a singular, not a plural. Exactly. I am one. Well, entity. That's just quitter talk. Just... I know. Seriously, right? <laughs> no, it's just that I have become one with the universe. So there is only Daniel, not Daniels. Okay. Oh, okay. So, well, with Mike Daniel from 1983, <laughs> uh, we are doing a crossover project, us here at Undercommon Taste and Mike over at 19 History Dragon. So we will be doing a second episode that is going to be airing this coming Saturday over on his podcast. So you better go and check that out too when we get done. Gaze upon it. Gaze upon the dragon. And despair. <laughs> oh my. Anyway. Um, anyway. <laughs> get ready with those fear saves. We, we are mm. definitely in odd form tonight, boys and girls. So like I said, just, just buckle in. It's going to be a fun one. <laughs> yeah, we didn't plan anything at all. <laughs> Wait, you guys plan things? Sometimes. <laughs> There's usually at least an outline, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess technically we do have an outline. We at least have a topic. That's a good start, right? We, that we is a good start, framework. yeah. So yeah. our topic that we're going to be discussing and working through is multiclassing. It is something that we haven't really touched on so far in our podcast, and we're 80 episodes in at this point. And it is a thing that a lot of players do, but it can be really complicated and confusing if you get beyond, say, just a one or two level dip. You're making this sound like the birds and the bees talk with the parents. It's totally <laughs> natural. It's okay. It's just, you know, <laughs> everybody does it. When two it's... classes really love each other. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they just kind of think they like each other, in fact. So. <laughs> Sometimes they just want to rub up just a little bit, you know, just a little closer than normal. <laughs> and then you wake up with a pact. And yeah, well, I mean, that that's a whole warlock thing. And that's I mean, <laughs> that involves consent and probably some paperwork. And I mean, that's just jumping way off a cliff. <laughs> Anyway, so let's let's go let's go ahead and get into this before we completely devolve. So actually before we get too far into this, we should probably let Mike explain who he is and what he's doing here. Yeah, that's probably uh, good. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm just I'm just a fly on the wall. It's okay. So, so Mike, would you um, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure, sure. My name's Mike Daniel. I host the podcast 19 Hits the Dragon. Kind of similar to Undercommon Tastes where I shoot the breeze with tabletop top RPG creators and so forth. And while we're recording this, we're getting ready to launch our first episode for the season, but typically have new episodes every other week. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search 19 Hits the Dragon or follow me on Twitter at 19 Hits the Dragon. And uh, chatting with the guys here at Undercommon Tastes, and uh, we kind of do similar things. And, you know, like multiclassing, sometimes you want two things that do, they don't necessarily go together inherently, but you can find some nice ways to mix things up as you're working together with it, right? So we wanted to do a little bit of our own multiclassing. So that's that's why I'm here. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I do want to say 19 Hits the Dragon actually started about the same time we did. So, I mean, mm-hmm. and we've had some discussions back and forth. So this is actually a podcast that's been a long time in coming we looked forward to trying to get schedules and the stars to line up so i'm really glad you finally made it yeah i'm glad we got to hang out together as well uh, i've been looking forward to this for a while i know when i was doing season two we had touched base and tried to make things work and then schedules just kind of got away from us both and now here we are so yep. i'm excited we're making this happen damn it <laughs> <laughs> Whether it wants to or not, we will. This collaboration force this. has no choice. Yeah, this is the Adventure Time episode where Finn makes the goose and the fox kiss. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be unpleasant uh, for everyone involved. No oh one my. will be happy. <laughs> Wait, am I the goose or the fox? I'm confused. Well, in this particular case, since you are the non-entity, you're probably Finn. 
Uh, actually okay i'm cool with that i used to i actually have a really quick costume that i can throw together to be finn the human so like yeah okay nice all right all right so have you got your pictures ready ian i have my diagrams (laughs) with the circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back (laughs) my my 27 8 by 10 color glossy pictures oh my okay so multi-classing how do we do it yeah multi-classing how do we do it so if you want a quick visual medium way to figure this out, Matt Mercer actually did a wonderful little video. It's like eight minutes long in their handbook or helper series that they made like four mm-hmm. or five mm-hmm. years ago at this point. God, was that five years ago? It was. It was like 2018, Yikes. 2017, 2018. Okay. Yeah. It may have been 2019, but it was Pre-pandemic. during. Yeah, it was. It was either during campaign one or the early days of campaign two. So yeah, it's been a hot minute. I guess it has. All right. And it's also gotten like 17 million views. So a lot of people have gone to (laughs) reference it. And chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen that video. (laughs) But if not, go check it out. I've actually not seen it. So I mean, there we go. I mean, I guess I'm the outlier. I went and watched it just to refresh (laughs) before this episode because I'm looking at books like an idiot. What the hell? (laughs) I know, right? Reading? How dare you, sir? (laughs) Pshaw. So uncivilized. We're here to roll dice, not read books. (laughs) So in general, the steps that it goes into is you gain a level, you check to make sure that you meet the minimum ability score requirements for your current class and the class you want to multi-class into. And if you do, you take a level in that class. It's basically that simple. It's when you get into certain different kinds of classes that it gets complicated. Mainly when you get into classes where magic is involved. Hmm. Yeah, magic tends to flub everything up because magic. And so really multi-classing is kind of straightforward. So that's the how level up, check your stats, multi-class, ta-da. Again, we'll get into some of the mechanics. The reasoning behind multi-class, I mean, there's a lot behind that too, and we will definitely delve into that. But whether you just want more utility or you want more RP options, those are going to be your two primary reasons to multi-class as well. Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of really great mechanical reasons to multi-class, get new abilities, get different skills, gain access to features. Eldritch Blast! (laughs) Like Eldritch Blast uh, that you wouldn't have with the class you had been in previously. There are a lot of really broken builds, so to speak, that you can make with multi-class characters, which I think we'll we'll get to talking about at, at some point here. So yeah, there are a ton of reasons why you would want to multi-class, right? So whether that's uh, for those reasons that we talked about, there are narrative reasons, like maybe you have a character archetype that you're going for and one class, base class, doesn't fit the bill for you. So Now, I will say with 5th edition, they have really streamlined how to multi-class. You start going back to 3rd and 2nd edition and then Mm -hmm. you had to start balancing like how much XP because you'd only get like half your Mm -hmm. XP awards. You had to make sure that you had a favored type of multi-class. So certain races had a favored multi-class or there wasn't an XP penalty or there was an extra XP penalty. And if you like playing those older editions, multi-classing was a beast. And like I said, now 5th edition, Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, okay, I'm taking extra classes here, here, here. Look at me, I'm everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, was it uh, Puffin Forest who has the video about Absurd, the character that is one level of every class? Mm. I would totally do that. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a fellow player that has definitely threatened to do that. In my Monday night game that I play in, he is pretty notorious for multi-classing his characters. So we always kind of give him shit about, oh, is this finally going to be the time that you make the complete hybrid and get all of the classes? It's a little difficult to do, though. You got to have some pretty balanced stats across the board to be able to do that, right? So yeah, I think you have to have a 13 and everything but con. Mm -hmm. Is it 13 or 15? 13. 13. 13. Okay. And if you ever want to know what your class abilities are for multi-classing, there's a handy dandy chart on page 163 of the player's handbook. Because everybody reads the player's handbook. (laughs) I actually happen to have a physical book in my hands right now. 
Ooh, rarity of all rarities. Mine is in this stack of physical books that is next to me because I've been working on stuff. <laughs> um, my office is not organized at the moment. So trying to corral some kittens here. When we do multi-class, what aspects or what do we get? I mean, what actually do you get from multi-classing? So the first thing that you're going to get is you're going to get a new hit die based on your new class, meaning that if you're staying in a class that has the same hit die, like going from fighter to paladin or fighter to ranger or, you know, wizard to warlock. Wait, no, warlocks are warlocks a D8? I can't remember. Warlocks are, warlocks D8, are D8. Wizards are D6. Yeah. Okay, so cleric to warlock. There we go. Uh, right. There's a couple of D8s. If you're keeping the same size hit die, then it just another die drops into your pool. But if you're multi-classing into a class that has a different hit die, like say starting off as a fighter and then taking a level in Barbarian, mm-hmm. now you're getting a D12 hit die into your pool. And so you're going to have, let's say you're a fourth level fighter, four D10 and one D12. And you're going to be able to spend that D12 hit die whenever you're taking a short rest and recovering hit points. But you have to keep it separate from the D10s. You have to keep track of them separately. That's probably one of the few tricky things, particularly if you are doing characters that do have the different hit die, is keeping track of which hit die you're using for various things. But it's not too cumbersome, but it is something to keep in mind. Then next thing you get is most... Armor and weapon proficiencies. There are no multi-classes where taking the new class will give you a heavy armor proficiency. However, there are certain cleric domains that give you heavy armor proficiency at first level. Yes, Tempest Cleric among them. Well, actually, clerics don't get heavy armor across the class at first level. Only certain domains domains do. Yes, right, right. But there is a handy dandy table on page 164 that shows you exactly what you get. The things that you don't end up getting, you don't get max hit points for first level because that is only for first level characters, not for first level in a class. You don't get the new classes saving through proficiencies. You don't get extra uses of class specific mechanics like the cleric or paladin's channel divinity or the extra attack feature. You don't get to stack unarmored defense. That one is specifically Aww. listed. So you can't <laughs> Someone tried. Con- that means yeah. someone really tried. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Oh, Definitely yeah. in the playtesting, someone was like, monk and barbarian multi-class, and no one's going to hit me. So I'm <laughs> going to have an unarmored defense of 25. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to get 10 plus 5 dex, plus 5 con, plus 5 wisdom. I'm just going to min-max my character. I don't need strength intelligence charisma (laughs) and i went ahead and just got the one level in cleric so i could have shield of faith in there anyway so Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you don't get any of the first level skill or tool or language proficiencies unless the chart on page 164 tells you otherwise. basically there are two sorry three classes that you'll get some skill or tool proficiencies and that's the bard, the ranger, and the rogue. Yep. The skill monkey classes. Although Artificer might also. I don't uh, know because Artificer came out in Tasha's. That um, might be something to check out. Uh, uh, but yeah. Oh, gotcha. The- <laughs> If you're a person of culture, it came out in the Eberron book. Fair enough. (laughs) Though, I mean, getting some proficiency with rangers as a multi-class, I can kind of see because, again, the rangers really did not get a whole lot of 11th, 5th edition. So, I mean, unfortunately. Yeah, the the ranger... It's gotten, you know, like, it's had kind of a glow up over time. It has. Tasha's fixed a lot of things with the ranger. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was in Unearthed Arcana rewrites for ages. So, yeah, yeah, it really was. And I'm glad that they did the uh, the spirit for animal companions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so they have uh, an animal companion that actually kind of sort of levels with you. Yeah, that does mm-hmm. help a lot. Because, you know, once you get to a higher level, once you get to like a 12th level character, that challenge rating to beast companion that you've got ain't going to cut it. it just yeah, not. they're just going to die. Right. <laughs> they're just gonna and I really don't like what they did with favorite enemy. Yeah, there, there's a lot I want to but that is a different conversation for a different day. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, true, that is true. that is for a conversation on rangers. So <laughs> if you're playing a ranger, you might want to multi-glass into other classes that exactly. get better features. And get a good get a good character <laughs> to play. <laughs> 
multi-class into assassin rogue wink wink oh that would be a great one that's that's a surprise tool that will help us later (laughs) (laughs) so yeah again checking that chart kind of seeing what you get and again this kind of comes into a big at least it's an issue i have when i play at a table and i generally discuss this if i'm going to multi-class or i'm going to do something along these lines i do discuss with my dm and the other players at the character so if i want a multi-class it comes through to does the player want me to play a character rp wise or are they wanting me to min max because again it does have a feeling of how the table runs i would have a character and they might multi-class one way for roleplay reasons and how I'd feel developing the character or where I'd think the character should go. And that might not be mechanically as sound or as advantageous as it would be to multi-class a different direction. So again, if I have a ranger, it might make sense mechanically for bigger die to multi-class as, say, an assassin versus maybe multi-classing as a druid because my ranger's going to be in the woods and maybe they're bonding more to nature with their role play. And that is something to consider as you build your character is which direction you do want to go with that. Now we come to the complicated part. <laughs> multi-classing with caster levels. Multi-classing with caster levels is complicated. Yeah. Because you have to determine what your effective caster level is. Which means that if you are a full caster, so bard, cleric, druid, sorcerer, wizard, your effective caster level is whatever your levels in those classes happen to be. So if you start off as a cleric and you multi-class into sorcerer, it stays the same. You could have three levels of cleric, one level of sorcerer, your fourth level caster. You're going to have a spell slot progression of a fourth level character. If one isn't a caster at all, so let's say you start off as a druid and then you multi-class into monk, it's the same because then your effective caster level is however many levels you have in druid. But then... Once you start mixing and matching, it gets tricky because then you have half casters. So that's the ranger, the paladin, the artificer, where you have to take your levels in that class, divide it by two, round it down, and add that to your full caster levels to figure out what your effective caster level is. And then you have even more complicated third casters, which are your arcane trickster and your eldritch knight. Right. So the quick and dirty way, again, just take your additional level and divide it by two if you're not a full caster or a non-caster. So again, if you're the artificer or the, is it the druid? Druid's full caster? Nope. Yeah, druid's Druid's full caster. Artificer's a half caster. Artificer Mm -hmm. ranger is half caster? Paladin? Yeah. Artificer ranger paladin, yes. So you'll basically need two levels to gain the spell slots you'd get for your caster level in general. Or if you want to be sneaky about it, I made a handy dandy table on our using spell points instead of spell slots write up that we put up on Patreon for free. And you can go and reference that real quick because yeah, and that is I did the math for you. That is a huge, also, huge help. Yeah, listeners, if this is sounding complicated to you, this is the reason why I don't multi-class casters unless one of them is a warlock. <laughs> yes, because, because multi-classing with a warlock is super easy. All you do is just add your warlock uh, slots on top of what you have from your other caster class. Because yeah, warlocks, warlocks have is... pack magic, yeah. and pack magic is an entirely separate little pool of spell slots that you deal with all by themselves. Right. Warlocks break all the rules. So they really yes. do. Warlock is the multi-classing class. I mean, everybody can hop hop a level or five of a warlock. It fits with just about everything. It's really easy to throw in some roleplay reasons, mm-hmm. mechanics. I mean, oh no, I get a free Eldritch Blast. I have a free cantrip that can do a surprising amount of damage whenever I want. Super easy to work into any class. Roleplay, mechanics, just if you want the multi-class, mm-hmm. Warlock's where you go. What, four 1d10 rays that deal force damage? <laughs> no, who wants yes, that? Yes, please. <laughs> With a 120-foot range? <laughs> if you take oh, an, an extra you level, darn. you can turn that into, like, what, 200-foot range for with the, the Eldritch Spear? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Or, or basically make it chain. And then you can <laughs> double it again if you take Spell Sniper. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Warlocks might be a little broken. I like Slightly. them, but they're a little broken. <laughs> Slightly broken. I still think that Eldritch Blast should be a class feature and not a cantrip, but that is a conversation for when we're talking about warlocks and not multi-classing. Mm. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Coming through again, talking about multi-classing, we dug up some 
kind of cryptic stuff from way, way back when. Yeah. So back in, I think it was primarily in third edition. I'm not finding a whole lot of it outside of third edition, but it may have been a big thing in second edition. And because I was primarily pre-internet, not a whole lot of that's made it out. Right. But there was a thing called a gestalt class where Mm. it was typically done in parties where you had a small number of players. So you only had like two or three players. And what these characters are, they are two classes simultaneously. So you would pick two classes, say a fighter and a wizard, and a third level gestalt character would be a third level fighter and a third level wizard. And whenever one class had a class feature that the other class didn't, they just flat out got that class feature. And when they had class features that clashed, like hit dice they would take whichever one was better. So like in our example of a fighter wizard, they would have a D10 hit die. They would have all their weapon proficiencies. They would have all their armor proficiencies, but they would also have all of the spell slots that the wizard had. Right. And again, these were for smaller parties. These were, again, if you had your DM and then one or two other players, or if you were just wanting to run basically like a super overpowered party. Again, kind of clunky, kind of a weird thing. It worked with some third edition things. This is definitely something that would be discussed at a session zero with your DM, with your other players, because if you're doing this, you're doing this from the start. And this is probably something that your DM is going to come to you and say, hey, I have this idea. Right. I want to run this game. Are you interested? And then we you say, yes, I want to do crazy fun stuff. Yeah, I think if most players brought this to their DM, the DM's going to look at them like they have, you know, three heads. Like, what the hell are you trying to pull right here? Right. Like, <laughs> not something that most DMs are going to be okay with their player bringing to them, unless they're into wacky stuff like I am. So Wacky stuff, or I could see a time like if you're in the middle of a campaign and then suddenly had players life or, or whatever happens and they permanently have to drop out and so mm. you're trying to maintain that cr level of the campaign this mm. might be a way to kind of cover that gap a little bit without the dm jumping through too many hoops as well mm. true and it also has to be something where all of the players at the table have to be doing it you can't have one, one. gestalt player <laughs> and <laughs> three normal pcs look at me right. emerald and dirk square jaw <laughs> <laughs> So just as an example, if we were to do this in 5th edition, a first level fighter wizard. So a first level character that is one level of fighter, one level of wizard. We'll call him a fizzard. We'll call him a fizzard. Um, (laughs) He would get a D10 hit die from the fighter. And so he would start with 10 plus con mod hit points at first level. He would get his second wind at first level. They would get spellcasting and arcane recovery along with the wizard's number of cantrips and spell slots at first level. They'd get all the fighters weapon and armor proficiencies. They would gain proficiency with all of the saving throws that both classes have. So they would gain proficiency with strength and con from fighter and proficiency with intelligence and wisdom from wizard. Everything but dex. (laughs) Everything but dex and uh, charisma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they would still only get two starting skill proficiencies because both the fighter and the wizard have two skills that they can choose. However, Mm. you would get to choose from both classes class skill list. Okay. So you can pick from the ones that the fighter could be proficient in or the ones that the wizard could be proficient in. You get that whole expanded list to choose from. Right. And that would be your first level character. Yeah. And then your second level, again, you just level up both the same way. So whichever one had the higher hit die, you're taking that. Where things matched, you're just getting a smattering of both. But in this case, you know, it would really kind of kick in when you hit third level and you start getting those archetype features because you're going to start stacking those as well. So again, it can get a little clumsy. Well, the the wizard gets their school at second level. And then the fighters get their type. Their martial third, archetype at third, yeah. Third. So these would start coming in as well. And again, at that point, it can get a little clumsy, but really you're just running two characters meshed into one. Yeah, two characters in one body. It's a Freaky Friday sort of situation. Oh, that'd be kind of fun to do. And then you have to like do a whole split personality type thing. Anyway, that's... Yeah, I was actually thinking a moment ago, if you had, you know, if you were going for a character that had like dissociative identity order disorder, or what used to be called like multiple personality disorder, 
this would be a, an interesting way to be able to play that because you would have access to all of the features for the most part or, you know, kind of the most powerful features. So Yeah, I like that. And you'd have to roll to see who you're playing after each rest, maybe after mm-hmm. each long rest. Make that a wisdom a saving really... throw to stay as the fighter or whatever. Yeah, that would be a very interesting character to play. All of your other party members learn a trigger phrase Hmm. So that when necessary, they can forcibly switch your personality. So we're playing the well, Winter Soldier now. <laughs> n- oh, I was just, I was actually going to say now I know how to build Moon Knight. So right, <laughs> yes, no, that's awesome. I love it. Oh, I absolutely love that. No, yeah. that's perfect. Dracula, you nerd! I know you're in here. <laughs> Where's my money? Where's my money? <laughs> No, I love that. No, that would be a perfect way. And again, it would take a lot of discussing with your DM and the players at the table, but that would be a great way to bring one of the Gestalt characters to a fifth edition table. Yeah, yeah, we discovered something new. I like it. And if you wanted to be absolutely bonkers. Oh, yes, please. You can multi-class a Gestalt character. Oh, my God. (laughs) Whoa, whoa. Going a little too wild there, guys. What you do is you have to pick which side of the gestalt you're going to multi-class and you can do it to both. So you could technically be four classes at the same time. That would Mm. take so much accounting. Oh my God. Yes. See, as a DM, that's where I start throwing dice at the players. No, Um, bad. Hit them with a little spray bottle. Stop. (laughs) Yeah. Spray bottle. (laughs) Because technically, according to the third edition rules, if you were to take more than one caster class in your gestalt let's say that you were a wizard cleric okay Mm. you would have the full spell slots of the cleric and the full spell slots of the wizard personally i think that's a bit much yeah i don't think that a 20th level gestalt wizard cleric should have two ninth level two eighth level four seventh level four six level spells a day hmm. yeah that and just seems a little bit much that's, then that's you, a you lot know, you multi-class both i'd even go maybe an 18th or 19th on both and then multi-class with sorcerer on both of them so you can throw in meta magic on top of everything else yeah you could do that <laughs> but personally if i were to bring this into fifth edition i would still count it as the effective caster level Yes. Yeah, I agree. And just have one block of spell slots. Well, I think, mm-hmm. I mean, per the way we described it at the beginning, that would be the thing they get together. So that would be like the matching, like where the fighter warrior only gets two proficiencies because they both have two. They should both only have that yeah. caster level because they, they match together. Slots, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if that's not hard written, I would DM rule that. And again, throw dice at my players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so... If you were to multi-class, you would use the class with the most spell casting to determine your effective caster level. So a fighter wizard would be a full caster because wizard. A paladin cleric would be a full caster because cleric. Mm. But a rogue ranger would be a half caster because rogue isn't a caster class and ranger is a half caster class. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm good with that. And then you get to a point where if you're multi-classing one side and not the other do you end up having a possibility of like a three-quarter caster Mm -hmm. again that gets into too much counting and i start throwing dice yeah (laughs) which is my answer to just about anything right now i'm just gonna start chucking dice at people (laughs) because i mean if you were to take your cleric wizard and you were to multi-class the cleric side into paladin and multi-class the wizard side into artificer i would at that point yeah would my make brain it just split. broke so um, <laughs> right. i don't know how to respond to that one at that point like i said i would depend on which side they were yeah that's don't do that boys and girls just don't just don't <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed that I brought that up before I got down to that point in my notes because I had the line, but what if you wanted to go totally cuckoo bananas? I like cuckoo Hmm. bananas, but yes. (laughs) Can you multi-class with a gestalt character? You bet your pants you can. I'm all in. There's my pants. Uh, Wink, wink. I think think people fold just so I get my pants back. (laughs) No, no. And we're done here. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Uh, You all started again. It's going to be that kind of night. (laughs) 
But yeah, so again, these Gestalt things, they do require a lot more in the way of accounting. I like the concept we came up with, the dissociative identity disorder. That's really good. Again, you want to run maybe, like I said, a pre-made campaign, like from the books or something, and you don't have the people at the table. Or if you had people at the table and some of them had to leave, this is a good way, again, to kind of fill that power level gap so the players can still enjoy the story and the game without again jumping through too many hoops or changing too many things so there could be a time and place in fifth edition for this but again kind of rare don't multi-class four different ways please just just don't (laughs) please do not (laughs) (laughs) but you don't want to have a fifth level fighter fifth level ranger fifth level druid fifth level wizard i do i don't want to dm that (laughs) yeah planning for that seems like a, a nightmare for sure yes I mean, you would have a 10d10 full caster that can do natural and arcane magic and wild shape and do all of those things. Again, I would love to see the story for that character. I don't want to DM it. I'll let you do that. (laughs) Okay, so that craziness aside. Back to something a little more normal. A little more normal and a little more homebrew because this is something that I've been thinking about for a good long while. What if we were to take that general concept and make it work within a class okay hmm okay so where you're gestalting archetypes within a class as opposed to gestalting classes and i don't know if i'm using i may be verbing the noun in an inappropriate (laughs) way but (laughs) a little bit but it's fine no one really knows what gestalt means anyway so we can decide right here and now what it means for us so yeah no one who hasn't taken philosophy courses where they talked about (laughs) german philosophers knows what gestalt is (laughs) it's like zeitgeist you recognize the word but you never quite understand what it means means. right well yeah i mean gestalt is just one of the villains from final fantasy 6 right I don't know. I have an issue whenever I try to play Final Fantasy VI. Whatever device or machine I have it on randomly crashes and dies. Dude, that has happened to me too. Either that like, happened I've had, to PlayStation 3 twice when I tried to get through Final Fantasy VI. The game VI. is cursed. Like, it's awful. The, 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 just the main want, boss, he always wins. to finish it. <laughs> <sighs> but anyway, Rabbit Trails. Anyway, yes. Yeah. <laughs> We don't we don't get off topic ever. No, nope, I don't. I mean, definitely doesn't happen over at 19 hits the dragon either. So it's yeah. Yeah, what are that's we great. What do it's you great. So. <laughs> so the concept that I have come up with is called a chimeric class. OK, where you stay in the same class and you can go one to 20 in that class, but you get to cherry pick archetype bonuses Mm, okay you've got my attention so the example that i've come up with is for a fighter and let's say that you hit third level and you take the bait that is improved critical on the champion (laughs) archetype of course okay and then you get to level seven and you realize that the seventh level ability is kind of shite Mm. yeah we talked about this earlier some of these you get midway and they become very underwhelming Mm-hmm. We talked about this like back in episode three. Right. So, <laughs> so, we're still bitter. We're still a little bit bitter about this. But you're looking in the book, and right next to the champion is the battle master. Mm-hmm. And you yes. get to see all of the cool things that they get to do as a battle master with their combat maneuvers and their superiority dice and all of that fun stuff. So at seventh level, instead of taking the seventh level martial archetype ability that you get from the champion, you get to pick the third level martial archetype feature from Mm. the battle master. And so now you are multi-classing within the class, multi-archetyping, if you will, champion battle master. So you get your superiority dice, you get your combat maneuvers, and you get your improved critical. See, I like that. Again, would take quite a bit of not quite a bit but it would definitely take some conversations with your dm because you do want to keep track of which abilities you are getting and when but i don't really see an issue with this otherwise so the way that it would work is you would get an ability whenever your class schedule says you get an archetype ability correct and you have to get one where you have already taken the previous ability in that archetype. Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I was just thinking, you know, why would it be 
the third level battle master ability and not the seventh level one since you're at seventh level but i like the idea of like you have to have the first one first before you yeah. can take the next one i mean this really starts feeling kind of like the skill trees in exactly two or wow which i love and <laughs> i am still bitter when they pressed them back to skill stumps still bitter about that so yeah i love that kind of mix and match you can kind of personalize your characters. I love anything that lets you personalize or make your characters adaptive or unique. So I am really okay with this. All right. So we still have this fighter. They get to level 10 where they're going to be getting their next ability. And you've been looking ahead a little bit in the battle master. You're already locked out of the 18th level ability, which improves your superiority die from a D10 to a D12. Okay. Hmm. And you're looking and you're not really all that, interested in the other abilities that you get you don't really care that you can spend a minute observing a creature to figure out you know whether it is better than you the same as you or worse than you on certain aspects you know armor class and strength score and all that nonsense you don't really Mm -hmm. care about that you don't care about getting a superiority die if you start combat without any superiority dice because let's be real here have any of us actually been in a game with five to six encounters a day? No. No. Usually it's like two, three top. Yeah, you regain your superiority dice on a short rest. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is no reason to take that ability if you don't need to. Right. But now you've turned that page so you can see the second page of the Battlemaster stuff. And now you see the Eldritch Knight. Oh, he's so shiny. And he's so <laughs> shiny with his spell casting and stuff. <laughs> So at 10th level, instead of taking the 7th level ability in Champion or the 7th level ability in Battle Master, you take the 3rd level ability in Eldritch Knight Mm. because it's all within the same class. Right. And you can Mm. take from any of them. And so you pick up a few cantrips, you pick up a couple spell slots, you get the weapon bond ability, so you never have to go unarmed again. Some anti-magic fields and pocket dimensions slash planar portals may apply. (laughs) And then at 15th and 18th level when you would get more archetype abilities, you decide to stay with the Eldritch Knight. So that means that you can make a cantrip attack as an action and a weapon attack as a bonus action. Okay. And then you give them disadvantage on their next saving throw against your spells with the Eldritch Strike ability that you get at 10th level. All the while, you're getting the ability to use your maneuvers from the Battlemaster to add damage and affect combat in certain ways, move enemies around, or etc., etc. Exactly. And you have the And you crit critical. on a 1920. Right. And you crit on a 19 or 20. Yeah. I like it. And so whenever you reach the top, because you took Eldritch Knight at 10th level and you have continued through Eldritch Knight, you're effectively an 11th level Eldritch Knight because all of the levels from when you take an ability to when you take the next ability count for that archetype. Okay. Mm. So the levels three, four, five, six are champion. You take Battlemaster at seven. So seven, eight, nine are Battlemaster. You take Eldritch Knight at 10. And then because you keep taking Eldritch Knight abilities, 10 through 20 is Eldritch Knight. So you're 11th level Eldritch Knight. So you would have however many spell slots an 11th level Eldritch Knight would have. No, I like that. Again, Hmm. it'll take a little bit of accounting for the player and DM just to make sure you know how many battle dice you have, how many spell slots you have, just because, well, I'm an Eldritch Knight, but I took, you know, the Battlemaster School plus the Champion. I don't think it would be too cumbersome. Otherwise, I like it. Yeah, so in the end, you still have a 20th level fighter. So you still get your four attacks per round with extra attack. You still get a D10 plus 20 on your second wind. You still get all the action surge and indomitable uses. You still get all of the ASIs that a 20th level fighter would get. Okay. But instead of being shoehorned into a single course, now you have a custom fighter who lands a critical hit on a 19 to 20, has seven maneuvers and six D8 superiority dice because the number of maneuvers and dice are specified in the combat superiority feature, which specifies when you reach a certain level, Hmm. implying character level, like cantrips. Though admittedly, Wizards of the Coast didn't plan for us to be doing this, so I probably (laughs) didn't feel the need to specify whether it was character level, class level, or archetype level. They get proficiency with one type of artisan's tools. They know three cantrips and eight spells and can cast four first level and three second level spells a day. They can summon 
two of their personal weapons to their hands as a bonus action, provided that the weapons are still on the same plane of existence. They can make a bonus action weapon attack after casting a cantrip as an action, and they impose disadvantage on a saving throw of a spell you cast before the end of your next turn after you hit a creature with your weapon attack. So you shocking grasp somebody as an action, you use your weapon to attack them as a bonus action. On your next turn, you can use Toll the Dead and they have disadvantage on the saving throw. Oh, that's vicious. I love it. Mm. That is vicious, but I love it. Mm-hmm. And at 20th level, that's 4d12. That's just a couple d12. <laughs> Only a few. <laughs> Only a little bit. And so within the fighter, there would definitely be some other archetypes that would be prime candidates for a one archetype dip, if mm. you will. So like the samurai for fighting spirit. Yeah. Because being able to give yourself advantage and temporary hit points three times a day is nice. That comes in handy. Yeah, it it turns out. Or the Echo Knight, because, well, because the Echo Knight is kind of broken and overpowered. Sorry, Matt Mercer. (laughs) It Uh, happens. It 100% is. I'd see this also with wizards as well, because you could dip into the Mm. various schools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which would be kind of fun. But wizard is going to be a little bit harder to do. Because that first ability that you get just decreases the cost and time to copy spells of that school. Right. So, and you don't get very many archetype abilities. You don't get a lot, but the the ones you get are kind of nice. I'm thinking particularly like with the evocation where you have Mm -hmm. the shape evocation Mm -hmm. and mixing that either with like an illusionist or a... uh, Enchanter. Enchanter, yeah. Yeah, Ar- Arcane Ward. Oh, yeah, Arcane Ward from the Abjurer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Ooh. everybody, they all get something right. at second level besides just... Just cheap spells. De- decreasing, <laughs> yeah, the cost and time for that school of magic. I think the Druid also, with the different circles, could be a lot of fun as well. Mm-hmm. And then it would allow the DM an opportunity as a world-building thing oh, yeah. to really hybridize their circles to customize them for what they need for their world. Yes. I am the druid of everything. Because (laughs) I mean, combining something like a circle of the land with a circle of spores. Oh, I mean, I can see places where that would thematically work. Right. Circle of the moon and circle of stars. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be a very good thematic combination. Correct. Yeah, no, I like that as an option. And I really like kind of going through with Tasha's. They even made making your own characters at start, you know, the whole whole pick your background where you can kind of play with the numbers a little bit more. I like that. So I think maybe as the game ages, maybe this becomes an option later. But again, if you're homebrewing, we got it for you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've said on many occasions that fifth edition is already sort of a build your own tabletop RPG. So I think this just kind of adds an extra layer into that statement. Right. So I, I dig it. 5e is the Build-A-Bear workshop of TTRPGs <laughs> yeah. at oh, this point. Totally is. Now, James, what you were saying about potentially combining racial abilities. Right. And I was thinking like a true chimeric character. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of the other podcasts I listened to is a couple of characters. Okay. Mm. And recently, because of the race customization rules that came out in Tasha's, Alex over at a couple of characters basically just wrote a program and plugged all of the racial abilities in. And so what they do is whenever they create a character on their show, they click a button and it shows what race they're they physically appear to be okay and then Mm -hmm. it just pulls Mm -hmm. four completely random racial abilities and plops them on i like it nice so in their most recent one it was an asmr body but they had the tortle shell defense they had pack tactics from the kobold they had poison resistance from the dwarf and i can't remember what the fourth one was but i mean it's completely hodgepodge random glorious that is sort of a mess if you're doing a hodgepodge thing like that that go again this is something you definitely want to talk with your dm for because again as you're doing oh i've got resistance to poison you're not a dwarf no well i took it from here so you want to keep that kind of Mm -hmm. on mind so everybody's kind of on the same page so you don't get that character that's like oh i took that from dwarf and i also have you know natural 
claw attack from the tabaxi and it's like when did you get a tabaxi and, and i have the bite from the lizard folk yeah exactly and so and you will <laughs> unfortunately run into that character on occasion mm-hmm. and so again keeping everything accounted for at the beginning where everybody at the table does know what's going on is a thing don't be that player it's tempting don't do it bad get the spray bottle and the dice <laughs> both yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's pretty much the end of multi-classing, both what is written into the book, some of the traditional options, and the chimeric option that I have been playing with. I haven't run it through a bunch of classes yet, so I don't know how it's going to play with something like a bard or a rogue Mm -hmm. that have a lot of archetype abilities. And some really good archetype abilities as oh, well. Yes. So it's like, yeah. at what point do you choose to switch over if you're playing a rogue? And I toyed with the idea of doing it like a gestalt, where basically you hit a level where you're getting an archetype, and then you get to choose from across all of the archetypes which one mm-hmm. of those you wanted to pick. I think that would be too much. It could get super busted. Well, I, I'm glad that I used the fighter for my test subject whenever I was trying to figure this out because Mm -hmm. so many of the archetypes rely on a mechanic that is gained at third level. Right. Yep. So the Eldritch Knight, if you did it that way, if you didn't take it at third level, you don't get spell slots. Right. Spell casting. The Battlemaster, you wouldn't get your superiority dice. The Arcane Archer, you wouldn't get your Arcane archer stuff i can't remember what they're called off the top of my head like (laughs) your arcane shots or whatever so doing it the way that i've got it works for the fighter i haven't played with the other classes too too much to see if it works for them it may be completely broken and unusable but that was the idea that i had and so i just decided to show it to everybody <laughs> no i like it and like i said i dig it most classes you don't get anything super hard hitting with that first archetype level you get some nice you know you get utility but you don't get anything like way over the top unless you're an assassin rogue yeah uh, yeah i mean uh, but you get advantage if you're attacking before the target goes right. on your first round and if you're hidden and you hit it's an automatic crit right I mean, that's, that's what you get at third level for an assassin yeah but then you look at the rest of the Assassin Rogue and it kind of falls a little flat. So again, I can kind of see mm-hmm. balancing out a little bit. And I said, it really does feel like the old Blizzard skill trees, which I do like. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, yeah, we probably should explore it a little bit more, but I think it has a lot of potential. All right. Now for the fun bit. <laughs> now for the fun part. Mike, as you may know, mm-hmm. whenever we have a guest on the show, we like to break out the monster mashup table and roll some dice and create a critter on the fly. Horrible abomination. Oh, that too. <laughs> so if you have yourself some dice. I do, in fact, have dice on hand. So. You mean a D&D podcaster is going to have dice on hand? Surprising, I know. What kind of world are we living in? <laughs> yeah, I, I Everyone, right. for some reason, is really shocked when I'm like, yeah, I've got all of these dice here. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a freaking dragon's horde of dice over here is what it really is. So, Well, when we had Lewis on from uh, Dead Channel Studios, he had the what was it like the two pound bag of dice yeah. in his desk yeah. drawer. Yeah. <laughs> he nice. pulls them out, pulls it out and drops I... it on the desk next to his mic and he goes, <laughs> Tonk, boom. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I have also bought one of those, but those have been disseminated out to all of the many people who have played with me over the years so gotcha it's probably about like half a pound of dice at this point was it so pal's game that used to sell the one pound bag i forget who used to sell them i uh, don't uh, yeah neither sure. here nor there anyway anyway what am i rolling what kind of dice do i need to grab all right well you're gonna be rolling all of them oh okay uh, then at once not at once oh Aww. damn you uh, mean i don't get to roll a fistful of dice I mean, if you really wanted to roll them all at the same time, you could. Yeah, it's it's fine. We'll do one at a time. I get a better endorphin hit if I do it one after the other. So That's right. we'll do it that way. I'm not going to drive all the way to Chicago to tell you no. <laughs> you can't do that. We'd have to load up the squirt bottle and everything. It would take time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have time for that right now. We have already been recording for an hour, and now, no way, we don't have time. Yeah, no. All right. So let's go ahead and get started. So give me a D4. This is locomotion. D4. For locomotion, that is a two. It runs. I like it. Nice. Creepy. I like it. This is the first one we've had in a while that hasn't burrowed, so. 
Yeah. Or swim. Off to a good, off to a good burn. and swim. Those tend to be the two. So we got some We don't get very many flying ones. Not a whole lot. Yeah. We had the siren. That was kind of awesome. That was a lot of fun. That was with Ethan. Anyway, next one is going to be a D6 for what does it eat? What does it eat? Sure. Let's see. Uh, that's a three? A three. It eats insects slash vermin. Okay. Kind of getting a coyote feel to this one. Okay, yeah. Or an anteater. Yeah. A fast anteater, which would be terrifying. I mean, who's determining what a vermin is? I mean, if this is like a drow, so now it's going after the, with a sniffle bin or whatever they are. Swerf neblin? Yeah. Swerf neblin. I mean, the definition of vermin can be quite wide. <laughs> well, if we're on the uh, elemental plane of Earth, it's mephits. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> a mephit eater. Okay, anyway. Anyway. What's next? A D8 for size. I had a feeling that was going to be it. Uh, seven. Seven. It is gargantuan. Yikes. Definitely feeling a method eater because that's a lot of ants for a gargantuan creature. It, yeah, it is a, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lumbering thing for sure. Okay. Uh, the last gargantuan thing that we had that ran was Tarrakis. Yes. Hmm. Tarrakis the shell spider. For the, uh, should be coming up soon for March Madness. And By the time this comes out, March Madness will be done. Be done. Okay, yes. Yeah. By the time this comes out, we will know how well Tarrakis did. Yes. Okay, so I am seeing a large creature that runs. It eats insects and or vermin. I am thinking the natural scourge of the Formians. Okay. Hmm. Oh, yeah, because okay. then we can get that anteater going yeah. on. Yeah, it's a gargantuan anteater that eats yeah. the Formians, yeah. So it would almost be like a clockwork sort of creature, because Maybe. it would be from Mechanus. Would it be from Mechanus? I mean, if it's going for Formians, because Formians are native to, to Arcadia, yeah, that's right. yeah. to Arcadia and Mechanus. Yep. So, I mean, it could be from Arcadia. Yeah. It doesn't really fit in well, Arcadia. Let's, let's see what else we can find with this thing. But yeah, I'm definitely getting... Yeah, I would totally love for this to be like a giant clockwork anteater yes. on Mechanus. Another, what was it, the Eventuals? Not the Inevitables. Inevitables, yeah. yeah the, the Eventuals. <laughs> Those two. <laughs> okay, so next up is going to be another D8 roll. Another D8 roll. Right. For social organization. Uh, seven again. Who, buddy? This is a herd. So 26 to 100 individuals. All right. Yeah, no, I'm definitely seeing these as something that someone has created or designed against the Formian. Yeah. This is like a genetic bioweapon type thing, or it could be a construct, perhaps. Maybe Uh that's how they work. I could definitely see this. This might be like the construction of a rogue pentadrone. Oh. A rogue modron. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is... I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but there is a clockwork construct that is specifically made by a rogue pentadrone modron in Sigil. Okay. And it's like this panther type body. I think it's like a large size or something. Third edition. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I do distinctly remember that that is a thing. So there is lore that says that rogue Modrons will make constructs that are violent, that will go and eat things. Okay. Oh, this could be an Akron. Yeah. And it could be uh, like an army breaker. Oh, nice. You get a squad of these to break an army. Nice. I like it. Anyway, we're getting off topic again. <laughs> I have that effect. We need you. another roll. What's the next oh, roll? Oh, we don't, we don't need any help for that. <laughs> yeah, chaos woohoo. <laughs> uh, next up is a D10 roll for native environment. Native environment. All right. Let's see what we got here. Uh, that's a two. A two? Give me another roll and let me know even or odd. All right. I'll use this other die here. Uh, it's a five, so odd. Odd. Saltwater aquatic. Hmm. That kind of so maybe this thing is actually a gigantic whale that moves in herds and it somehow runs. Hmm. It's like a swamp. I'd say more like a crab critter, you know, kind of on the shore. Mm, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe like low tide pools. Massive crab eating other smaller crab. Okay. It eats seagulls. Yeah. (laughs) I would consider seagulls vermin. Vermin. Yeah. Like I said, that the definition of vermin can be quite wide. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So saltwater coastal. Uh, Next up is going to be a D12 roll for method of defense. Hmm. All right. Rolling hot still. That's an 11. 11. It's got spines. 
Okay. I mean, that there's something bigger than it, which is terrifying. I mean, the Tarrasque has spines. So what? Yeah. <laughs> what hunts the Tarrasque? Yeah. Uh, probably an astral dreadnought. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I would hate to get banished to the donjon of that particular astral dreadnought. You're there on the astral plane. You see this big thing coming up. You know, some Gith Yankee are poking it because they do. That's how they do. Yeah, that's what they do. You get caught in its gaze and it banishes you to its to its dungeon and you show up in this 300 foot square stone cube with a Tarrasque. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surprise. This just keeps getting worse and worse. I was kind of seeing it the other way. Like there's a Tarrasque that's ravaging the land and then suddenly a tear opens up out of the astral plane as this huge astral dreadnought that hunts tarasks steps in and scoops it up and tears it in half and you're like oh i thought we were already fighting the most dangerous thing but i was wrong the enemy of my enemy (laughs) is sometimes still going to kill me yeah probably usually there's always a bigger fish yep indeed there is okay next up is going to be a d20 roll for quirks for i'm sorry quirks yes okay a uh, 10. A 10. Sentient. Capable of understanding language and higher cognitive functions. Okay. I like it. Hmm. This is definitely sounding like a construct from Mechanus. Yeah. Though the ocean coastal thing does kind of throw me a bit. Yeah. Maybe it's a giant mechanical crab. Okay. With spines. It's, yeah. um, what is it? Qualix apparatus? It's, it's, you know, the... the Oh, yeah, Ko- uh, Kowalshi's uh, apparatus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wh- whatever that... The apparatus, the, the giant crab submarine thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of those that have attained sentience. I like it. Attained or been granted slash cursed with sentience oh. by some truly mad wizard. We will leave that to DM's discretion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen that movie with the orb at the bottom of the ocean. Sphere? Yeah. <laughs> Strangely <laughs> enough. <laughs> that was actually a really good book. Read that in high school. Okay, so... I'm just over here picturing Attack of the Giant Crabs, which is uh, completely different. Yeah. All right, so now we make it weird. Now it's weird? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So I need you to give me a D100 roll. Oh, snap. 11. 11. Yeah. Well, I think this cements our construct hypothesis because they are biologically immortal. Hmm. Yes. I mean, so were lobsters. So granted, it's just unfortunate that they happen to taste delicious with butter. Now I want like a 50 pound lobster. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And because we are absolutely crazy and want to ruin everything, we're going to roll on it again. Because we're like that. Mm. 23 is favored by a local deity and killing it causes its killer to be struck by a 4d6 lightning bolt. Dude, I love this thing. Holy crap. I I still want to make this kind of, like I said, an antiformian. So maybe like it it prevents them from pushing too far off a coastal range. So maybe they put them there as like a bulwark to halt their expansion. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, they have normal geographic features upon the discs of Mechanus, right? Upon the gears? I just figured they were just giant gears. Hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure that there's actually, like, landscape on the top of them. It's not just plain blank gears. That's how I always pictured it. There's topography. There's all that. The undersides are blank. Blank? Okay. They only build on one side of the disc. Gotcha. I mean, I could be wrong on this, but I think that they do actually have topography on the top side of the gears. I mean, really, Mm. the, the big question is, what is the vermin they are consuming? It needs to be fairly largish because they are large. They're a little more than large. They're yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a, just a, a touch. They are at least thirty-two feet tall. Isn't there an aquatic form of goblin? I want to say a sporigan or a something. Picture something that kind of looks like the creature from Black Lagoon and has the weird like gill fins. Oh, I mean, there's like the Kuatoa. Is that what it is? Yeah. Or the Sahagan. Yeah, the Sahagan is what I'm thinking of, I think. The Sahagan? Yeah, the Sahagan. That's what I'm thinking of. Maybe they are the The ones that worship the shark god? Yeah. Because again, that definition of vermin, especially if they're constructed, then vermin's whatever they're... Whatever they're programmed to see is vermin. Whatever the creator, yeah, thinks is vermin. And if they're favored by a god, that suggests that Mm -hmm. they are created by this god. Right. Right, right. You know, as a tool for whatever pettiness they 
going to get into because the gods. Right. So these could almost be on a water plane, on the plane of water. Yeah, maybe they border the plane of water. What is well, the plane of the maps? Like on the edge of like the... The plane of ooze? Yeah, the swamp of oblivion. Yeah. 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 Ooh, maybe they are some deity that lives in the plane of water is holding back whatever vermin are trying to invade from the swamp of swamp oblivion. Of yeah, that would make yeah. a lot of sense. Definitely this would go well with the damage it would be, uh, you know, obviously a, a tempest deity of some sort would make a lot of sense huh? as well. Again, they could be like really big crabs, right? So, yeah. yeah. I mean, the crab shape works perfect for them. Thinking like on Isgard, the Temple of the Moon. Yeah. Hmm. These could be the guardians that keep people from going to the Temple of the Moon that the Moon Goddess doesn't want to come over. I can hmm. see that. They're naturally covered in spikes. Maybe the spikes aren't defensive since they're created. Maybe they use those as kind of like, you know, Vlad impaled his enemies on the front lawn to kind of stuck. So like if something's kind of, they take the leaders and they impale Like a the cadaver leaders. collector. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. Mm. That would be great. Yeah, I like it. I like <laughs> These it. These things are monsters, for yeah. sure. They're terrifying. <laughs> they're, I love they're, them. they're not fluffies. <laughs> or perhaps they could be, was it the next to last layer of Carceri? That shallow ocean. Ooh, that would be perfect. So they would be the constructs of Oceanus, of the, yeah. the Titan Oceanus. Mm. That would work. Because he's just super salty about the fact that Poseidon has taken over his <laughs> yeah. job and, and banished him to the netherworld. Yeah, I could totally see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, talk about Petty. That's uh, the Titans definitely fall into that as well. Yeah. So. And especially since, according to Planescape lore, that's literally what he does. He sits in his half-sunken temple on this plane of Carceri and he just broods bitches nonstop mm. about Poseidon, about this little upstart nephew of his that kicked him out and took his job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's recap. Our critter runs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It eats insects and vermin, which in a carceri context, it can be demons that are coming through, going to the blood war. It could be petitioners that are being punished. Because that's something that happens there. You know, there's a bunch of additional things that we could go into with that one. It is gargantuan in size. Its social organization is a herd. So 26 to 100 individuals. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. Their habitat is saltwater coastal. They have spines. They are sentient. They are biologically immortal. And if you kill them, the god that they are the favored critter of is going to smack you with a 46 lightning bolt. I like it. So what do we call it? I have an option. I don't know if you guys want to run with this or not, but there's a great one already out there. I think we should call it cancer. Hmm. Okay. I kind of like it because we did decide to double down on that crab iconography. Right. So yeah, I can see that. Mike, do you have any ideas? So, yeah, I had to look up the name of this because I couldn't remember. But since we were referencing some Greek mythology in Planescape, there was a giant crab, Carkinos, that came to the aid of the Hydra as Heracles fought it. That's so, also a great option. Yeah, I like Carkinos as well. So yeah, no. I, I... But Cancer is also, uh, well, I guess actually it looks like from what I'm seeing here, Cancer probably... Or Carcinus, Carcinus, I don't know. Maybe the, the words have some etymological uh, Overlap. ties to each other. Yeah. I think cancer is Latin, is what the Romans called it. But yeah, no, I like uh, Carcinus as well. So that fits better. And you okay. wouldn't have just the, uh, the hard C word for a lot of people. So that would avoid some confusion. Mm, true. So I think Carcinus fits better. Okay. Okay. Excellent. I like it. Nice. Go team. <laughs> so the other thing that we like to do with our guests is asking them to give a shout out for someone else in the community that they feel deserves more attention than they're getting or someone that inspires them or whose work they really appreciate. Oh, gosh. I mean, honestly, there are so many people I could shout out in the community. I think if we're going for people who are maybe um, underrepresented or deserve more love, I'd actually like to shout out My Sound Delve, run by a guy who I've had on the show a couple of times, Christian. He's a super great guy, and he has an app that is made specifically for, it's like player-focused, 
and it is sound effects for player characters. You can kind of create a character sheet and create sound effects for your characters. Um, oh, nice. It's it's super neat. That yeah, so like attacks and you know spells and hits and misses and all kinds of like monster effects and stuff as well. Like it's really great. Yeah, I actually recently got to play a Starfinder game with him. Oh, nice. Yeah, he had Hannah on for one of those as well. Great. Yeah, and uh, we're actually going to be having him on as a guest here in a couple of weeks. Huzzah. Okay, well, <laughs> let him know that I shouted him out. Yeah, absolutely. He's great. Yeah, he's good people, yeah. For sure. All right, so now here I'm comes the- i that worked out like that. Yeah, <laughs> great. Uh, so here's the part where you get to plug you. So tell us where we can find you and your stuff. I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but go ahead yeah. and put it again. We'll bookend. <laughs> <laughs> for, for sure. Yeah, I guess I got the cart before the horse a little bit earlier, but that's fine. Like I mentioned earlier, my show is 19 Hits the Dragon, or my podcast, I should say. You can find us wherever you get your podcast at 19 Hits the Dragon, pretty much everywhere. You can find me on Twitter. I run the Twitter account. The show is edited by my spouse, Hannah. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll get a lot of really great interactions between me and my spouse having fun and being big nerds about stuff. So follow me there. And uh, yeah, you can find all the links on my link tree, link.tree slash 19 hits the dragon. I think I'll send the links over to you guys can put it in the yeah, episode we'll, description. We'll put, it, we'll put them in the probably show notes. Not correct. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's where you find me. And again, the show is you know kind of like what uh, these guys have here at Undercommon Taste. I chat with other folks from the tabletop RPG community dissect certain aspects of gaming and being nerds and offer advice to GMs and players, designers, and any aspect of the tabletop RPG community that we feel like talking about or geeking out about. Awesome. It's a good time. So, Mike, thank you so very much for joining us tonight on Undercommon Taste. It's been great having you here. We look forward to joining you again for your episode, which is going to be coming out this coming Saturday. Right. This has been a ton of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a blast recording with you guys today, and, and I'm looking forward to having you over on our show real soon. It's going to be a good time. It's already been a great time. So we're going to go through all of the weird, crazy, multi-class possibilities that we could come up with. Yeah. Listeners, if you had a good time with us speculating about multi-class options, you can listen in on my show to hear about the wild things that you can do with multi-classing. So... And I'm too far away for anybody to throw dice at me. So I get to have a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think. Open my, hey, what's that through the window? Ow. <laughs> no, I'm going to send you a package that's going to be spring loaded with just a bunch of dice. So when you open it up, it just launches at you. That'd be awesome. And there's a note at the bottom that lets you know it's for me. Okay, yeah. perfect. <laughs> hey, free dice. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under commentaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitch at Under Common Taste. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash undercommontaste. All of our write-ups go up on our Patreon account. I'm trying to get some more patron exclusive content out so if you enjoy the stuff that we're putting out for free please consider becoming a patron getting access to all of our patron exclusive content as well and helping support the show financially we are also on discord you can join our discord through the link in our show notes you can find our podcast wherever you find podcasts so if this is your first time again just whatever your favorite podcatcher is we're on apple Podcasts, google iHeartRadio, spotify so always if you can please give us a rating and review this helps increase our visibility and lets us know what you want to hear more of so thanks once more for listening stay safe and we will see you all again next week happy gaming thank you for listening to another episode of undercommon taste you can find links to all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as our Patreon and Discord channel in the show notes. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find more of her work at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccrowell. Our logo was illustrated by David Sutherland. You can find him on Instagram at willex underscore 73 or on DeviantArt at DeviantArt.com slash David Sutherland. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week.